This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Hi, it's me, Madam Adams, Cindy Adams, the incredibly charming, modest, unbelievably brilliant, same Cindy Adams, Madam Adams, who harangues you in my column four days every week, Monday through Thursday, in the God Bless Us New York Post. And I've been there forever. I mean, I can't even remember when I began back in the year, who knows, that was before there were calendars, just sundials, when there were eight New York daily newspapers, the News, the Mirror, Times, World Telegram, Herald Tribune, Journal American, something called PM, and the New York Post, which then was probably two cents, and that was back in the year of the flood. I had a landline with a circular dial, and I had a fax and the subway was a nickel. Okay, now, let us empty our bladders upon the Oscars. The Oscars idea was a 1929 brain drain from MGM's second M. MGM, the first and second M, the second M, was Louis B. Mayer. He decided to take over the Blossom Room of the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel. It was a ballroom. He had 250 egos sitting there, and he fed them fish and chicken. Douglas Fairbanks, Sr., made a quickie, quiet speech. He was the MC. There was no media there, no photographs, no nothing. Mayer said, Louis B. Mayer said, the reason for this idea is if you hang medals or awards or anything on the egos who make movies, they'll kill themselves to produce what you want. All they want is attention. So let's give them something. We'll give them gold-plated statuettes. And they were announced, the winners, even before they were given out. And the excitement in America was such that only one tiny paragraph about it was written in the Times magazine. Nobody cared, which is the way it's going now again. There was an actress called Janet Gaynor. She was 21. She won three Best Actress things. The best actor was a man called Emil Jannings. He was German. In 1939, director Margaret Herrick thought the statuette resembled her uncle Oscar. That's the story, anyway, and supposedly that's how the name Oscars began. In terms of inspiration, how about the Oscars flashing breasts this year and uncovered parts and showing their behinds? How are we ever going to raise teenagers without problems if that's what they're watching on television. Okay, so I am now going to go more into the Oscars. The Oscars, an actor cracking another actor's face was anatomical history. With knife-sharp narcissists, as all actors seem to be, their smack is usually in the back. In 1974, a nude dude ran across David Niven. 
Another time, Jack Palance did push-ups. In 2017, dead people really showed someone alive. They had a reel of dead people, and in it were people alive. 2013, Seth MacFarlane and a gay chorus sang a song that was titled, We Saw Your Boobs. I mean, you were really talking class here. 1971, Best Actor George C. Scott stayed home, didn't even go to the awards, stayed home in bed under the sheets with his wife, who we understand was a non-statue. In 2000, Angelina Jolie, saying she's in love with her brother, kissed him on camera, directly on camera, right on the mouth. Marlon Brando had Native American Sasheen Littlefeather accept his award. He didn't come. 2003, Adrian Brody's tongue somehow managed to slither all the way down Halle Berry's throat. Civilization forgets what teams played, but it remembers in 2004's Super Bowl. Forget what teams played. They remember that Justin Timberlake did a close-up of Janet Jackson's right boob to 140 million watchers. Nobody remembers who played. Everybody remembers the boob. Jackson, Janet Jackson's right boob. So Sunday's Oscar slap was really great TV. Viewers will watch again next year. And maybe, hopefully, someone's best actor zipper might jam. Look, nobody even knows watching this thing before we had that little experience. Nobody knows who actually grabbed an Oscar. Nobody cares. Nobody saw most movies. Nobody even knows where there is a movie house. Nobody understands why winner Jane Campion's dog thing runs longer than the Amber Heard Johnny Depp divorce. But everyone's on to champ Chris Rock and contender Will Smith. Even dumb Prince Harry, Meghan Markle's robot, he probably didn't even see it. Now, that particular TKO got more attention than Sunday's entire whole complete crappy show, which nobody watched totally. The mishmash was such a good scene that Spielberg could have actually directed it. It helped ratings. I had turned the whole show off even before it was over. As far as I know, Paula Negri won Best Supporting Actress because I wasn't even watching that far. Well, Will Smith was her. He was guilty. Who knows what else? In his head, he was defending his woman. Alopecia is not nice. I am aware of it. I myself have had need 
to fight it. Listen, we've all got problems. So if you have that, what you do is you schlep out, you buy a $9.95 wig, you add the $10,000 gown, you hit the after party, and you shut up. Whatever other marital demons were being exercised, who the hell knows? There was plenty in that marriage to have problems. I only know the slapping and yapping juiced up Chris Rock's bookings. It has been reported that his comedy tour tickets shot up from a lousy, measly $46 apiece to a $341 minimum. He's newly, actually, pay attention, he's newly being nudged, maybe, to MC the Tony Awards in June. It's a great idea. If not, listen, who else? Maybe Alec Baldwin? Jesse Smollett? Maybe Pelosi's hairdresser? More. More. I got more. This I don't personally know. This I am actually told. Backstage afterwards, Denzel calmed Will. Executive said Will needed counseling. They say he needed anger management. They said he cannot give vent to such emotional issues. They say they have been aware of it. They say he needs to just build on his great career win. Smoother ways can handle guilt. And it took Monday for the full apology. Now, this week, Plaza Suite, an old, old Broadway play, reopened. It had Matthew Broderick and his wife, Sarah Jessica Parker, in it. The Yentas at Broadway's opening got into that slap heard round the world. Cynthia Nixon said, Violence is never the answer. Rachel Dratch said, I love Chris Rock. Andy Cohen said, The whole affair was sad, like his housewives isn't. And he also said, B, how great Rock maintained his composure. And Mikhail Barishnikov, quote, This all was distraction from more pressing matters around the world. Okay, this has nothing to do with the Oscars, but something just came into my head, and I feel like telling it to you. Julia Roberts has a brother. His name is Eric. His age, his age is 65. He is older than she. He is less famous than she, but he works more. He has run through 455 films and 191 television credits. That's all since 1978. What Eric Roberts is in now, who knows? I only know Julia's brother is the single most prolific screen actor today. So I figured if I know that, why shouldn't you know that too? And it is now time for me to shut my mouth because we have to do a station break. And after the station break, 
I'm going to do a fabulous interview with the sci-fi guy, Stephen Spangler. I will tell you all about who he is when I come back. Don't go away. A name you know who's in the know. It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Okay, I'm about to introduce someone I have spoken with many, 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 many times, Steve Spangler. He is a best-selling author, an educator, and a business leader. He's been branded by Time magazine as one of their most influential people of the year because of his passion to inspire the next generation of scientists and engineers. And you always see him on television. He's doing something. He's breaking something, crashing something, doing something to engage people in the mysteries of science. He has done 1,600 television appearances, Emmy Awards, and enough already with Steve. I am now about to speak to him. Okay, Steve Spangler, I know how you started, but tell me, how did you start with all of this? Uh, it started as a science teacher. And, uh, you know, sometimes teachers make so much money, we get a second job. And so I was doing a little program out there, a little science show in the early 90s. I was approached by a producer from NBC Television who said, I'd like to be a part of a show called News for Kids. And so that's how I started in television. One thing led to another. There were some toys along the way. And 30 years later, excuse me, here we are today. What was your first trick, honey? (coughs) Besides coughing. Besides coughing. Yep. Ask me again, would you? <laughs> Your first trick. Oh, what was my first trick? Well, you know, um, my parents, I grew up in a family of uh, scientists, so my dad turned my show and tell. You know, everybody else would bring in a G.I. Joe or something like that. He had me bring in science experiments. So I had a little thing that was in a bottle that you'd squeeze the bottle and this little eyedropper would go up and down. I convinced everybody in school that they had magnetic fingers and they could just put their finger on the outside of the bottle. I was just squeezing the bottle. So I tricked everybody. They loved it. And I found out the power of presentation. You could actually engage people, my own friends, if I just presented it in a way that made it seem like a magic trick. Don't sometimes things not work? I mean, I'm clumsy. If I can drop something and break something, I will. But don't things sometimes not work for you? All the time. And that's what makes it the best. I think that that, if you're a teacher, if you're a parent, if you're anybody who's trying to share something or get somebody else to learn, uh, I think that vulnerability of it not working is what's great. And so when kids see that it didn't work for us, they get to actually see the process of discovery. So that's the best part. Sometimes, don't tell anybody, but teachers actually make it seem like it didn't work just to enhance the learning. What junked up for you? What didn't work? Oh, so many things uh, along the way didn't work. I would get, uh, as a kid, I'd go to the library and get these science books. There was a guy, you remember, his name was Don Herbert, the original Mr. Wizard. And I tried for years to get that dumb egg in the bottle. I tried (laughs) and I tried and I tried. I couldn't get the egg in the bottle. My mom and dad are like, stop lighting things on fire. And uh, one, one thing led to another. And the first time that dumb hard-boiled egg goes into the bottle, 
you could just hardly wait to share it with everyone and tell me that that wasn't planned along the way. Somewhere along the way, you knew that that would happen. And that is viral science. I mean, Mentos and Diet Coke are great, and that was viral. But when you want to share it, you're knocking on the neighbor's doors and going, look at the egg in the bottle. That's (laughs) viral science. Okay. During the pandemic, when everybody was stuck inside with kids that were screaming and hollering, what could you do with kids with besides an egg and a bottle or water or or vinegar? Or, what could you do with kids? Cindy, it started with those parents. We all thought that we were going to be locked in for two weeks, you know. So when it went past two weeks, we just turned to social media. I flipped open my laptop and on our Facebook page just told people, I'll see you on Friday at 1 o'clock. And I'll show you how to do some things with a plate of milk and some food coloring, some soap maybe an Alka-Seltzer tablet. I just found things that were around the house. Cindy, that first week, we had about 250 people who joined us on the Facebook page. Then next week, I had 45,000 people on that Facebook Live. And it just continued to grow over the summertime. So we needed stuff. I was on a quest. I was going through 30 years of my material, finding out how to do things with vegetable oil and toothpicks and gummy bears and whatever I could find that I could share with parents who are trying to share with kids, share with teachers who are trying to engage kids and learn Zoom or whatever it was at the same time. There was a ton that you can do in the kitchen, and it really just it kind of came to fruition. Okay. On account of the fact that I'm a schlump in the kitchen and I don't even know how to wash a dish, can you tell me (laughs) one simple stupid trick that I, a klutz, could do with a kitchen thing? Absolutely. Uh, and you're not a klutz and you're going to be is you're going to do it wonderfully. The people who are listening can do this as well. I want you to take a plate, a dinner plate, and I want you to put milk in the dinner plate. So it might be one percent, two percent whole milk, whatever it is. Put milk in the dinner plate. Um, so it's about, you know, half full, not overflowing. Then reach into the cupboard and grab some food coloring. So I want a couple drops of each color in the very middle there. So a couple drops of red, blue, yellow, green, whatever. Let it settle. Nothing's going on. And reach under the sink and get some Dawn dish soap, just whatever liquid soap you have. Take one tiny drop of that soap, dip it in the very middle, and you will see an explosion of color. The colors will churn and move on their own like somebody is in there moving it around with a toothpick. What's really happening is you're seeing the science of soap right before your very eyes. The soap molecules microscopically are spinning around and aligning themselves with the fat that's in the milk. And in doing so, it spins the color around. I swear, you'll do it over and over and over. You'll have a dinner party and you'll do it. People are going to get tired of Cindy and the amazing color-changing milk trick, but it's phenomenal. Listen, it sounds like my housekeeper every day. Um, Let me tell you one quick story. My housekeeper has been with me 25 years, and I love her to death. We once got some gorgeous red orchids. We'd never had red orchids before. I'd never seen them red. So she put them in a prominent place in the living room and watered them daily. All of a sudden, one day, I walked by, and I touched the orchid. After four months, it was felt. It was made of felt. And she had been watering the damn thing for four months. So don't tell me about what my housekeeper could do. She can crap up anything in the kitchen. But I thank oh you God, for that idea. Funny. Okay, funny. what about where, where, do, where do you keep all your junk? I hate to use the junk, but where, where do you, you know, keep it all? 
Well, the marriage counselor said, uh, I've got to take it out of the house now. So that was just a, that was a compromise that was there. You know, we all start that way. If there you have anybody listening who's a teacher, we all know that we fill every nook and cranny of every garage and friend's garage and whatever. Cindy, for me, that I was teaching at the same time that the business, my entrepreneurial spirit was taking over created a company called Steve Spangler Science. That kind of blossomed into a, a manufacturing facility in Denver is about 16,000 square feet. We also had some uh, some uh, factories that were out of the U.S. as well. And so that company grew. I sold that company in 2018. So I'm back down to uh, we, we have a house that we just use for the TV show. So our TV show called DIY Sci. the neighbors are a little concerned because there is a, we don't live in the house. It's just the house that we use for TV. So there's no furniture, but there's lots of desks <laughs> and thousands of bottles of Diet Coke and Mentos and fire extinguishers and you name it. The neighbors every once in a while will hear a little <laughs> kaboom and they just know that the science guy is up to something. Well, what about your wife? I mean, isn't she a little bit unhappy with all of this stuff that you do and dirtying up the kitchen and everything? Well, let me tell you the secret. When yeah. we started Steve Spangler Science, my wife was the business brains behind that. She was the president CEO. So those 45 employees here in Colorado reported directly to her. She is the one that made that business happen. So um, I've always been the face of it. I'm the guy who does TV. I speak. I write the books and whatever. But when it came to the hard part, the business, the real piece that uh, that would you know kind of help uh, help us. For the rest of our lives and build something that was a little bit bigger than us. That was Renee. So when we sold the business in 2018, people said, congratulations, Steve. But I had to turn and say, you probably need to congratulate her because that's the uh, that's the brains behind the business. What about your kids? She still likes the explosion. I mean, I have the science house because she's like, don't do this crap in my house. I mean, you know, but yeah, but then, but they do come over. I'll tell you, if we if you come over for dinner sometime when you're here in Colorado, we'll treat you to a wonderful dinner. At the end, there'll be some fire eating that we'll do outside, and then we'll have dessert with liquid nitrogen. So we'll freeze the dessert right in front of you. And uh, this is the reason I can't get insurance, Cindy. I still to this day need to get insurance someday, but nobody will cover me. I don't know why. Well, well, Lloyd's of London will. Oh well, that's a good idea. I'll I'll be sure to write that down. <laughs> you, you need you yeah. You really need me to tell you about Lloyd's of London. Are you not insured seriously for all of this no. dreck that you're doing and all the spots and all the dirt and all the breakage and everything? Of course, there's a, there's a lot of insurance, and uh, I, I'm insured by the same people that insure uh, the people who who juggle chainsaws called the Passing Zone, and our good friends in Vegas <laughs> called Penn and Teller. So it yeah, seems like yeah. we're in a small little group of things like that. But you know, um, in a serious note. Uh, it's those things that happen that get bigger than life that have been so much fun for me. Our, our people at home, you know, learned that if you could, from books and from stuff online, if you take a box of cornstarch and you pour it into a bowl and you add a little bit of water, you can get the consistency of about honey. And what people are fascinated to find out is that's quicksand. If you push your hand down into a mixture of cornstarch and water and try to pull up real fast, you get stuck. You can slap it and it won't go anywhere. But if you slowly push into it, you can get your hand in and out of it. 
the people at the Ellen Show years ago said to me, what are you working on? I told them that. And they said, that's cute. They said, could you make it bigger? And I said, 10 boxes would be great and some water. And they said, how about a cement truck? 2,500 boxes of cornstarch, 800 gallons of water in a small pool, and Ellen walked across water. Now, if she would have stopped when she was walking, she would have sunk. So thank goodness she didn't do that, and we kept on getting to do the show. But that's that thing of taking it. Anything worth doing is worth overdoing. That's what gets kids excited about science, technology, engineering, and math. Okay, what could I, who I'm a klutz, a card-carrying klutz, what could (laughs) I do by myself, actually? I'm not going to get a truck full of cornstarch. What could I do in a nice, genteel kitchen? But you're absolutely right. I mean, the very beginning of that was true. A single box of cornstarch, it'll set you back $2.00. And a bowl and some water, and you're making quicksand. It will blow your mind when you're able to see this liquid. You can pour this liquid onto a plate, onto a cookie sheet, and slap it with all your might, Cindy, and it will not go anywhere. It turns into a solid at that split second, and then all of a sudden, bam, write it back into a liquid. And you will. I, de- I defy you to keep your hands out of it. You will squeeze it around. Kids today call it ubalik. Uh, but it's absolutely amazing. But but you might be thinking of something else. You might be going, you know, is there anything else I could do? Visualize this for me. I'll, I'll walk you through the steps. Um, you're going to take a wine glass. You know something about that, right, Cindy? A wine oh, glass. don't be funny. Yeah. Uh, stop. Uh, a little yeah. wine glass there. A little bit of water in the bottom of the wine glass. A couple drops of food coloring. Let's call it red. Now I want you to fill the rest of the glass almost to the top with vegetable oil. So you have this beautiful mixture there. You've got water on the bottom. You've got oil on the top. Reach into the medicine cabinet. Grab yourself an Alka-Seltzer tablet. Break it in half and just drop it into that wine glass. The Alka-Seltzer tablet will work its way through the oil, and in the moment it touches the water, it'll start to erupt. And it will make these beautiful bubbles start to come up like a lava lamp, and they'll come up through the oil, the little bubbles will burst, uh, it stays all in the glass, and will circle around again. It's going to look like a lava lamp. You'll amaze your guests. The They're trouble say, with you, again. Steve, is you're so boring. That's the real trouble with you. <laughs> Talking to you is such a bore. Okay, did you ever screw up a trick? I mean, you must have. Always. Uh, uh, absolutely. Um I um well I did it with my own kids. Uh, it, you know you try to teach them. My dad impressed me by teaching me how to do these little science things. I take them to school. So we have three boys, and when my uh, oldest was five years old, I sent him off to kindergarten. It was going to be show and tell time. You could bring whatever you want. I said, "Honey, you're going to love this." So I gave him the bottle of Diet Coke, the roll of Mentos, the little holder for it, and I said. Take everybody outside, and then when you drop the Mentos into the Diet Coke, of course, there's going to be this amazing eruption. All the carbon dioxide gas is going to come out. And he came home that day with a little note, and and it was, uh, please give me a call. would love to talk to you about this before you send Jack to school with this. And I thought, what happened? And I asked Jack, and he goes, oh, it was great, Dad. And he says, but you didn't tell me it would shoot up and hit the ceiling. I said, you did it inside? He goes, yeah. I I gathered everybody around the desk, and I dropped them in, and it just mushroomed up and just covered the ceiling in Diet Coke. And there's parents out there today that are shaking their head going, 
that's where this came from. I, I'm going to get that Steve Spangler, that's for sure. Cindy, to, to your point, they always fail. There's always a sense of things that don't go right. That little stunt that we did on the Ellen show, um, you were running across the, the water in the cornstarch. We had mixed that up, and it didn't work in the parking lot. Thank goodness we had saved off about 50 pounds of cornstarch, um, <laughs> and it took that extra little bit in there to finally get it to solidify. But you can imagine showtimes in an hour and a half. Willie Nelson's mad because he's got to move his truck out of the way or that, that motorhome out of the way, and we can't stand up on that water, and I don't know what we're going to do, and thank goodness at the last second it was okay. There's stuff like that all the time, and that's what keeps me young. Okay. We're going to close off, but one question more. Why do you live in Colorado instead of a real place? Uh, well, just come visit us in Colorado, and you'll see why thousands of people are moving here every single day. You know, I spend a lot of time in New York and in Los Angeles, but we've got this great country, and Colorado is just an amazing place to raise a family and to be able to do our science show at the same time, hop on a plane and kind of be almost anywhere in a short period of time. So it's a great place. When you come out, no. you visit. We'll blow some things up. Get out of here. I'm not coming to Colorado, come, but I'll come, come anywhere Colorado, else in we'll place to see you please, and to hug please. you and to love you. You're adorable. <laughs> love you, Stephen. Keep in touch, Thank honey. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks. you so much. Bye. All the dish that's fit to air. Cindy Adams is on 77 WABC. I have returned myself. You are lucky I am back amongst you. I would like to talk for just a moment about my city. I live in New York. I was born in New York. That's my religion. I'm a devout New Yorker. New York has been getting its share of getting beaten up because people say we have muggers, we have thieves, we have trash, we have bicycles, we have lousy going cross town because there's so much traffic. I want to say a word about New York. Okay, so New York should get now topless muggers. This way you can't remember the faces. People bitch that our town, which is capital of the planet, has as much crime in the streets as on TV. Please, just because our police stations in one district has an alarm system in the front door, that's enough to be unhappy? Or because our mayor's bank keeps its money in another bank? So what if our leftists chant, make bail, not license plates? Out-of-towners mention our crime rate. Please, that's rude. That's not New York. New York has eight million people. Over a million were never even robbed once. Anyway, if you call the cops, <laughs> it happens there's a three-year waiting list. The question is, which is easier, buying a gun or a politician? Our city is the greatest. It's the busiest. It's the strongest. Something is always happening in our city. So what if it mostly stays unsolved? In New York City, you can get away with murder. 
as long as you don't park next to a fire plug. One councilman's idea of handling traffic congestion? Encourage car theft. <laughs> not a joke. That's what he actually told me. And do not knock our subway. The subway is landmarked. It began in 1900. The first train just got to Grand Central. Isn't that great? And when the subway began, it was a nickel. How about keys to the city when nobody knows how to pick the lock? Smart residents here in New York know to keep to themselves. If not for a few thefts, there'd be no personal contact at all. This town's muggers are so up-to-date, they even now take credit cards. Lacking cash, one victim asked, Please, can I write you a check? The thief said, Yeah, but I need to see two forms of ID. Actually, I'm breaking myself up. These are so stupid, these lines. The local, Brook local sign in Brooklyn says, Keep New York clean. Trash New Jersey. Also, drive carefully. The life you save may be the one to remove his car from the parking spot you need. And a New York City robber, a real professional thief, is one who steals your money without getting elected. And forget calling the cops. Every precinct has a three-week waiting list. One lady, who was frisked a little too quickly, said, And just keep doing what you're doing, and I'll write you a check. Busy crooks now just hand you a note, grab your wallet, and tell you to perform two self-inflicted wounds. Ah, my New York, do not knock our robbers. A robber in New York is the only dude who still makes house calls. But if you're coming to our town, there are certain things you should learn. Like, for survival, move to a quiet neighborhood where you can hear people whisper for help. And don't walk to the bus. Run and ignore neighborhoods where the corner candy store has a live-in bouncer. Also, you need to put aside a certain amount for hold-ups. Don't get cranky if a stranger takes pictures, only if he takes cameras. And buy a bumper sticker that reads, Have you hugged your bail bondsman today? If given a mink coat, don't ask what it's worth, because one guy answered, eh, maybe five to ten. Be aware, children, we're coming into IRS time. So this cashier, this cashier told a worker, after deducting withholding tax, state income tax, city tax, business tax, Social Security Retirement Fund, Unemployment Insurance, 
hospitalization, dental insurance, group life insurance, the chip-in required to repair your roof, and your donation to the company's welfare fund, you owe us $14.25. Okay? We are also coming into June shortly. That is wedding month. And let's don't mention the Johnny Depp Amber Heard divorce. Let's forget the Brad and Angelina whose breakup is stretching longer than the marriage. And fie on serial bride Jennifer Lopez, who was into couples therapy with that former batter A-Rod, who these days considered her a home run. And in days and nights of yore, there dwelt a lady named Elizabeth Taylor, Hilton Wilding, Todd Fisher, Burton Burton, Warner Fortensky, whose last wedding certificate was done in chalk. But Valentine's Day has gone, and June, the wedding month, is upon us. The June month is special. We are talking love, weddings, engagements, marriages. For New York gents, it's maybe entertain a friend. For Hollywood's men folk, it's maybe entertain a friend's wife. It's whatever is on the table or wherever you can get it. Recreation, fornication, it's all about location. Now, some of our people, Naomi Campbell says, I do not get emotionally attached to anybody or anything. If your luggage gets lost, you can't stop your life for it. Val Kilmer, who's been my friend forever and is now not well, has said, After eight years of marriage to Joanne, I found out I was getting divorced when I turned on the TV news. Henry VIII, a 15th century king with a kink, said, Fie on those in-laws. And he kept doing his thing through a lousy six marriages. Listen. Jaja had nine, Larry King eight. The idea is, even though it is about to soon be June, the wedding month, you have to keep trying until you get it right. I love that what goes poop is regularly big business. A divorce lawyer who has repped one-namers like Giuliani, Tyson, Scorsese, he says, the celebrity rate may soon be as high as grass, and we keep trying until we get it right. Love that goes poop is big business. It's big business in New York where we have a divorce lawyer everywhere. Divorce lawyer who has repped these one-namers says the rate is getting higher and higher and higher. Now, here's what you need to know. To negotiate a price in case of Splitsville takes the bloom off the rose beforehand. But a lawyer whose divorces 
divorcees include Nia Farrow, Christy Brinkley, Robert De Niro, advises prenups no matter what. Also, this is his hint, separate accounts. If you're engaged, get a separate account before you get married. This means there is no premarital money commingling after I do becomes I don't. Mom's Mabley dribbles the immortal prose, Love is like playing checkers. You have to know which man to move. Long ago we had Jackie Mason, who has left us. He once put it to me so tenderly. He said, What is my favorite romantic spot? You mean in the whole world or on somebody's body? <laughs> and Tim Allen summed it up with, A guy knows he's in love when he loses interest in his car for a couple of days. Joan Collins, who has been my neighbor for years and is a pro, she says, my beauty program is a world away from vitamin pills or anything like that. I swear by my man, darling, and as many as possible. The beat goes on. Husbands ago, Kim Kardashian married a basketball player unthrilled with his dribbling, she dunked him in 72 days. Katy Perry and Russell Brand married in India. They divorced in L.A. Katie Holmes and Tom Cruise married in Italy. They divorced in L.A. Demi Moore said Ashton Kutcher cheated on her. Listen, his bones were 15 years younger than Demi's, and my bones are in need at this moment of a station break. And as soon as my bones heal, I'll be right back. The Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. We've lived through the pandemic. It's been the phone calls. That's all we've lived with. The questions that people always ask, how are you? How do you feel? What are you doing? The topic of conversation for two and a half years has been, did you get it? How was it? How did it feel? In the old days, that meant sex. Now it means vaccine. Forget passion. Forget even fashion. My dry cleaner thinks I've either retired or joined a nudist colony. Nothing's been sent to him since two blouses 12 months ago, and social life has been limited to one friend who has antibodies, and I don't like that friend in the first place. She came over twice, enough already with Monopoly and playing Scrabble. How many times can I buy Park Place? Each part of me has widened. I don't know about any of you, but if you stay home and you just live inside a refrigerator, you widen. My hips, upper arms, calves, body parts I've never even seen have become thick and tired. Designer skirts and pants suddenly need elastic rubber band waists. Everybody tells you the same thing. 
It's because you're no longer going out. It's because you're no longer doing things. Like I don't know that. Like I'm stupid. I understand I'm not exercising. Exercising? Like maybe in the old days, they thought I jogged six and a half miles every day, or I loaded bricks, or I chopped trees, or hauled machinery. Me walking into a car parked at the curb, sitting at an interview, typing notes, was my height of exercising. So what the hell are they talking about that I'm not doing now? I don't understand. I only understand I have been stuck home so long. Even my Yorkie is tired of me. Shove Alpo. He's getting so he likes Chinese takeout. And forget what happened to your appearance. Fauci looks better. Who gets to the beauty salon? Who gets any place? My warm brown hair now starts six inches from the snow-white follicle. Toenails have about reached chopstick proportions. Hands? I mean, please. The plumber's looks better. I personally glued on one fake middle nail, which popped off during the lone dinner I had out, and it was under mittens, and we were outside. Listen, women need help. They need facials, hair tints, manicures, pedicures, exercise, diet foods, tweezing. And the older ladies get, the more appointments they need. They need a dressmaker, shoe repair, eyebrows shaped, teeth cleaned, a handbag fixed, seams taken out, jewelry fixed, sweaters stretched, time to fight with the contractor who didn't show up, the light doesn't work, the books didn't get returned. Please, I have taken to rereading Tom Sawyer. I have been so busy doing nothing, just repairing myself, that I've had no time to make a living. And all this was just to help me retain that natural look. Considering my hair pieces are now older than my head, I am not standing in front of a bookcase like everyone else and doing Zoom. Are you crazy? I should go on a tight shot? People's nostrils loom large enough for a Hummer to drive through. My face stopped doing close-ups when radio came in. Without appointments or places to go and things to do, what happens is time runs into itself. A friend said to me, I say, we'll see you Sunday. I said, okay, but this is Sunday. Foregoing a dress code and staying terminally casual reminds me of an old long-ago story that was told to me in 1989 by the now-gone actress Jessica Tandy, who with her late husband, whose name was Hugh Hume Cronin, and starred on stage and in films. 
I remember when they told me this story. She said, Jessica Tandy, she was in a hotel in London. She was pushing a movie. She kept one light on in the hotel. She had to get up to go to the John. She followed the light. She knew it was the in-house emergency light that leads to the front door. Well, she opened what she thought was the correct door, thinking it led to the john. Well, it didn't. She got outside her hotel door and was in the aisle facing the elevator when her front door slammed shut behind her. And here is Jessica Tandy, who was in her 80s at the time, out in the hallway, alone, at 3 a.m. And we are talking an aged lady in a diaphanous nightgown with everything that was still left partially in place hanging out. She was then quite senior. And let me tell you, when octogenarian parts hang out, that is exactly what they do. They hang out. Oh, poor Jessica Tandy. She was the star of the season's then big number one film, Driving Miss Daisy. She was in it with Morgan Freeman and Dan Aykroyd. They actually, she in her diaphanous nightgown, with nothing on underneath it, had to summon a stunned elevator man to go get her a key. I have already gotten my second shot. I have already gotten my booster. I am so busy washing down Tylenol that I'm taking it with coconut soup. So, meantime, I would like to tell you what there are with people who are doing some things. Like, I heard about Melvin the Martian, who landed in New York. His spaceship's front wheel broke off. Whizzing past a deli, Melvin the Marshal saw bagels in a deli window. He'd never seen them before. So he radioed back to Mars. Hey, get one for a wheel. I'm stuck here. He was told by his radio people, No, stupid, that's not a wheel. That's a bagel. What you do is you eat them. So slicing one in half, a waiter offered it to him. Grinned Marvin, Hey, this thing is great. It only needs cream cheese and locks. Okay, children, you have now had enough of me, and I am about to leave. But before I go, I just want to tell you one little thing. An Oscar voter said to a Tony voter, My son has never gone to a psychiatrist. The Tony voter replied, Really? What's wrong with him? 
And now what's wrong with me is I'm going to get a drink of water and a sandwich and to say goodbye to you all. I love you, and I will see you next week, same time, Sunday, 1 to 2 p.m. Bye. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.